You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. This week we have Troy Fowler, a.k.a. the Ranch Fairy. Troy has a ranch in Texas with nearly unlimited access to hogs, and so he has tested a ton of different variables to try and come to a consensus about terminal arrow performance. He also has a background in the medical field and takes detailed notes on all of his autopsies, if you will. I've seen the spreadsheet. It's a pretty awesome collection of data. Anyways, it gives him a pretty unique standpoint in regards to arrow performance on animals, because instead of just shooting arrows into certain mediums and extrapolating to animal performance, he'll just go out and test it on a pig and take notes. And so a lot of what he's learned is very applicable to whitetail and elk hunters, because if anything, a big pig is more challenging to kill with an arrow. One last thing to be aware of, if you hear the term skeet load used in the video, that's referring to an arrow under 450 grains. What I think is interesting is that you have a unique supply of basically test material that not really that many people have access to. Yeah. It's uh so this kind of all came around. Y'all have heard about the Texas deer hunting and you can take this deer thing as far as you want. You get fences. I've been in on $150,000 worth of semen in the artificial insemination deal and had 47 does we knocked down and artificially inseminated on a high fence place. My buddy has 200 inch two-year-olds. Wow. So as a course of action, we feed, we feed a lot of deer and the pigs come along for free. And I kind of uh, decided I was gonna do some anarchy about in 2016 and I killed 61 of them one, one year. And then I killed 57 the next. And then I said, man, I ought to do something with these guys that's productive. And so I decided to start a channel where I could leverage my ability to get them sort of in front of me at whitetail distance and test them because they are not easy to kill. The bigger ones are ferociously arrow proof. They're hateful. So 
that's why I started. What makes a hog so much more difficult to penetrate than a deer? I mean, a lot of these pigs are roughly the same size weight-wise as deer, right? Sure. So anatomically, my background, I'm a respiratory therapist, and I was lucky to have a school with a cadaver's lab, cadaver lab. So I had a cadaver for a year. And when you spend time studying how to keep people from dying, you also know the reverse. It's just freaking facts. So what the feral hogs, the intercostal space is the space between the ribs. Okay, that's the technical term, and I can sound all fancy, but that's boring. It never gets wider than your index finger as they enlarge. Their ribs get thicker. They get shorter as they move forward, as you move forward, and the kill zone is triangular. So you are going, there's no, there's no getting, there's bones are a fact. You're going to hit at least two. I sent you some pictures, but obviously this is a podcast. You, if a mag, I, I have one picture with a Magnus stinger. It has to hit almost perfectly vertical to slip between. So then you have hair, mud, skin, shield on the big ones which isn't really that big a deal. It's like a piece of armor plating. It's, it, it's easy to cut. And then you slam into this, these very durable ribs that I think eat broadheads. I think that's why they're hard to kill. They're no harder to kill when you hit them right and the broadhead does his job. There's just a lot higher chance that something goes wrong. There's a lot higher chance that they kill your, the edge on your broadheads. That is what we're finding. I'm a huge single bevel fan. I really believe in the higher FOC arrows. I've shot a ton of animals over the last intentionally messing with everything. 550 to 1,035 grain arrows. Five, uh, I'm up to 12 or 15 different broadheads, and it just breaks down like this. You got the MEX, you got the fixed, you got cut on contact, and single bevels. Yep. There's four categories. That's it. An iron wheel, which is the big granddaddy. Everybody loves those things now. I don't know why. Is no better than a Magnus Stinger four blade. They're just, it's a four blade. It's a good cut on contact. It's going to do its job. So what I'm saying is the type of head that survives this damage. As you go cut on contact and single bevel, they seem to survive better. So terminally, terminal impact is all I worry about. You and I talked about this. In one, my latest video, I say, well, I've got one coming up, but not really a spoiler alert. There's two processes in bow hunting. Getting the arrow to the animal, getting the arrow through the animal. They're mutually exclusive. Intertwined, but we focus too much on getting the arrow to the animal, in my opinion. So what I did was I started a channel. I started with the, with the pigs, and I worked backwards. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah. I often wonder if I lose people. No, it really does. I mean, that's something that me and Garrett have talked about for quite a while now is, you know, we've went all the way down to the arrows, how to build a better arrow because of the penetration issue and holding up going through the animal is, you know, even with inserts and things as simple as that, people overlook the benefit of having a good insert system or a good delivery system of the arrow into the animal. So I mean we're we're all on the same page with this and it's it's something that we're we're real passionate about and we're talking about you know we're 
I'm a big single bevel broadhead fan. I have been since I had issues with deer penetration that I talked about on a, a previous podcast. So, Are you seeing better results? I mean, have you shot enough stuff? Y'all don't get, y'all don't have the access I do, and I don't. I sound like an ass sometimes on web, on some, on the internet, some of the message boards. I see, I've, sometimes I know I come across as this arrogant blowhard. I've literally killed forty pigs with a bow and arrow in the last two and a half years, and I've guided I don't know how many. And I, I just mess with everything. But what are y'all seeing? What's the single bevel giving you that you didn't have before? Um, it's. Mostly, so most of my issues was obviously like you're talking about with the ribs. Most people don't realize, especially up by the spine, if you're hunting whitetail for that matter, the the ribs are actually like less than seven eighths of an inch apart at the spine. Yeah, that's right. That's a fact. So if you're yeah, so if you're trying to shoot a three blade broadhead or something of that nature through those, obviously a broadhead or an arrow is going to want to follow the path of least resistance. So if you hit that with a three blade broadhead, you're trying to break those ribs all the way up against the spine and that's very difficult to do so that absorbs a lot of kinetic energy whereas if you go to a two blade cut on contact single bevel when that blade hits even if it's completely perpendicular with the ribs it's going to follow the path of least resistance that single bevel is going to allow that blade to turn quickly and to get into that cavity and be able to do damage on the animal right we're seeing through a the, the harder it stuff the broadheads hit the more rotation you get the more damage you get the more of the s cuts you get the what we call the drain plug when you have that really cool open mouth shape on the ins on the either the impact side or the exit side and i'm getting at least a half a turn out of a head like the bishop the 315 bishop has been a just i don't know why me and it get along when i take it out in the field things get shot and the dadgum tough head. Have y'all shot that thing? I haven't. I have not. It's three and a quarter inches long. It's an inch wide. It stays on the meat. It stays on whatever it's touching for a long time. And that thing, every time I shoot something with that head, it kills the hell, <laughs> kills the hell out of them. I don't know what it's doing, but it is a fantastic piece of uh, equipment. Your Your comments about the deer are funny. I get a lot of email on the sidelines and I'm sure you guys do too. If you're in this world of trying to increase, you know, penetration and single bevels, the guys, especially elk. Oh, there's a lot of people losing elk with, they don't necessarily say, but they're shooting skeet loads. I don't know if y'all seen my chart. So they're shooting skeet loads and they're shooting, max or something else and it's just not getting the job done do y'all want bears i kill i've killed a bear yeah that's that's i haven't shot those guys yet i've filmed a few hunts but i haven't actually killed one myself i've been i've been elk hunting six times i'm the worst elk hunter ever my wife said you need to take a gun stop (laughs) bow hunting you're an idiot (laughs) it's such a great experience out there good stuff good stuff and the whole trend of what you talked about you know people getting into these faster bows lighter arrows and trying to go with big cut mechanical broadheads is like what you said kind of contributing to these loss of animals whether it be elk deer um, bear any pigs even Um, you know you're the 
industry trend seems to be going that direction. And it's, I guess, a good marketing ploy by the bow companies and the broadhead companies. Expedition sent me a Excursion 6. I'm shooting a Switchback XT that's 100 years old. I call it the Angel of Death because, good Lord, I've killed a lot of animals with that thing. And it's just easy to tune. It shoots like crazy. And it's a, it's supposed to be a fast bow. It's a you know low, moderate 300s. I think it's a 340. I don't know. I don't pay attention to that. But the cast, something that the old longbow guys used to do. They used to do these distance shooting contests and called it cast, how far you could cast an arrow. That bow has got some juice. And you can load that thing up. And, boy, it loves about 700 grains. I mean, it's really loves it and when you get above 800 the bow pushes back y'all need to do that y'all need to shoot like a 900 grain arrow and have your compound push back in your hand <laughs> it's like hey what are you doing and it, it pushes right back into the, the crush of your hand those slow arrows with all that mass up front and that's something i wanted to talk about i'm getting a lot of questions from people right now about setups for elk and stuff and it's our testing has shown this to, that you need to lean towards FOC. So if you're going to build a 500 grain arrow, I hate full metal jacket arrows. Sorry if y'all can edit that out if it's going to have no problems. I get it. No, that's, that's the worst arrow on earth. It's a piece of garbage. The fronts rip out, they bend. So y'all can edit me out. Sorry, I'm kind of opinionated about this. I had seven of them blow out on hard impacts on pigs. The tips ripped out. Um, that's, that's just unacceptable. But, um, if you're going to build a 8% arrow that weighs 500 grains or a 16% arrow that weighs 500 grains, go for the 16. They seem to tune better and I know they hit harder. And then if you can add some CO, some cut on contact to that, you're going to be better off. Do you think that FOC is just as important as weight or more important or you need to have both or? I think the FOC is more important than weight. And if you try to get the FOC up, you're going to get your weight. It's hard to stay below 500. I always say the tipping point is 16%. My testing, I bear shaft everything. And when I get above 16%, they just, they just behave. I can't describe it. I went yesterday and I tried to freaking bear shaft some skeet loads. They were 495 kind of typical, a little bit heavy, you know, a guy who's dabbling his toes in the water, but not scared of losing three feet per second. And they were just, my floor's not good. <laughs> so they misbehaved a little bit. And then I threw a 300 grand point on the front and choop, 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 just, it was, it, it took me out of the equation. And then when you add broadheads, it does it again. For people that talk about how to get higher FOC, usually right away people will jump in and say, you can't just add tip weight because you're going to be underspining your arrows dynamically, meaning you're not going to get great broadhead flight. But from the, the few people like yourself and a few others that I know have done it, um, it seems like you get to a certain percentage of FOC and it doesn't seem to matter as much. That is what they'll, they'll show underspine on the charts or on the software, but you still get good arrow flight. Well, yeah, I upset some of the software people on archery talk and stuff, and they just have to get over it. They've never shot the arrows that they're representing in the algorithm. 
Okay, they do the algorithm at 100. They probably do 75 to keep all the speed freaks and the skeet load shooters happy. And then, and that's fine. That's part of 3D and stuff. And then they add 100 and they may test. But once they get outside of 125 up front, I promise you no one's done that. So the algorithm is just math, but it doesn't follow linearly. Now, when you, st when you get above 250 grains, you need to spine up. I shot the 600 grain bishop through a big pig on a 300 spine arrow, and it was a little underspined. It worked, but it was a Matthews X switchback XT2 with a seven and a half inch brace. I had a nice soft shooting bow. Pamela, my excursion six would not. But no, it doesn't work. But it's not as much of a spine jump as you think. I am currently shooting 250 Spartans with 175 inside, and I'm shooting some 125 grain heads, but it's still a 600 grain arrow. And so what I tell people is, when you get above 250 grains, you need to spine up one level, and you're probably fine. If you add another 250, 200, you need to spine up again. If you get crazy, but that's wizard hat stuff. You got to really try to get to 700. It's not easy. It's not. And and keep the high front of center. Is where it's not easy. Yeah. Right. Spine up. Spine up your arrow, and you get a little stiffer, a little heavier grain per inch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you spine up and add some weights, and then there's some aversion. The most requests I get on email and stuff is how do I use the 125 grain heads I currently have and then help everything. And the only way to do it is call ethics and get some inserts or I put brass with screw in. So I've got, I see black Eagle components have the screw in part. So I've got a 75, two thirties and then the insert and it's 170 grains inside the shaft. And that softens up those 250s. And then I put a, I'm shooting uh, Magnus Stingers. There was somebody destroyed a bunch of Magnus Stingers, shooting them into bricks on the, on the uh, internet. And Mr. Soam called me and asked me to shoot a few pigs with them just to <laughs> kind of say they still work. So I have killed so many animals with that stinger. God, that's a good head. That buzz cut is a really good head. Do you like the buzz cut more than just the straight cut one? So, yeah, from a physio physiologic standpoint, and somebody who slams a lot of broadheads into bones, because remember, when I shoot the cording away shot on a pig, you essentially are looking down a picket fence and you have no gaps. You're going through three ribs on the entry, plus all the other garbage, and they're usually covered in mud, which is kind of, you know, abrasive. So the buzz cut, inside his chisel serration he came up with, I talked to Mike about this, they were trying to lengthen the blade without lengthening the blade. So by putting a curved in there, there's a curve, you gain this cutting surface that's curved. Well, there's four or five of them. So it multiplies the cutting length because it's curved. Okay? So the straight edge stinger's straight, and then they added these curves. And I said, ah, I see it completely different. They are sharp inside. He intentionally set it up that way. They're not a steak knife. So you have the blade up front. It goes about halfway. It's normal. On top of each tooth is flat. And inside the serrations is sharp. 
Should it slam into bone and should the edge be compromised, those scalloped edges will hit lungs and arteries and everything and shred. They, they can't get on the bone. It's a, it's a significant advantage. I think it's a, it's a spectacular, spectacular head. I've taken macro shots of them, and they are, in fact, sharpened inside, and you can sharpen them. When you sharpen the head, they sharpen up. So there's very little chance that a bone's going to get in the scallop and damage that edge. Lungs, heart, everything else is very mobile. It's going to get grabbed, essentially. And that was the first head I started experimenting with when I started actually killing stuff regular. Instead of just wounding them to death. <laughs> Which is something I always say. You got to stop wounding stuff to death. You need to kill it. So uh, I find it to be spectacular. And those heads are pretty reasonably priced and they have lifetime warranties on them. That's correct. Mr. Stone backs them up. They're kind of bomb proof. I've not broken one shooting animals in regular situations. I am not a fan of these guys running around shooting bricks with stuff that are inappropriate to shoot bricks with. If you want to break a brick, put a blunt on there and do what everybody else does. You hit rocks with a sledgehammer. You don't hit them with a sledge sword. It's irresponsible. You're not helping you're not no, you're not helping the bow hunting world by destroying stuff intentionally. Because you're not using it for its intended purpose. You realize tanks don't shoot explosive stuff at a tank. They shoot a magnesium rod. The magnesium heats up and goes through the stuff and goes inside and lights up all the ammunition inside and blows the top off, which apparently is effective. But they don't shoot them with a pointy object because it doesn't work. That's just me. Y'all can edit that out too. <laughs> I'm just not a big fan. I think there's a point, you know? Well, I think it's... Yeah, it's basically they're trying to come up with a scientific way to test the effectiveness of a broadhead. And I know all, all your testing is done and live animals are actual animals in, you know, moving situations because when you shoot at something, it's ducking, it's turning, you're running into all this, you're running into all this different circumstances, but it's because each animal is indiv independent or individual, you can't really test effectively on different animals because one shot may on the same animal may be different on an, another animal so the purpose behind it is trying to develop something but there's really not a good way to test broadhead performance oh, no, i'm okay with the guys who make a mat and a board i think plywood's a decent test if you can't punch through like a piece of OS, moderate size osb come on and the mechs ex explode when they hit that stuff that represents the leverage, if you got lucky enough to stick the point of a two-blade mechanical between the ribs of a, of a pig, it's going to slam into those two, and they're going to go through hell. The leverage that they're going to have against them is going to be awful and likely to shear the blades off. I'm sorry. They're two inches wide. They're not very thick. They don't have a lot of – they're very wide. There's just a lot of resistance working against them, just mechanically speaking, right? Yeah. I don't really care, but it's just a fact. It is what it is. Mike shot, we sh Mike shot that one pig on one of my videos and heavy arrow penetration two or three. It's whichever one he broke all seven vertebrae on. He broke seven vertebrae on one of them with a, he's just a, he's an animal. So he's hung that thing up and shot it 18 times with different setups. 
and we got accused of shooting through the same hole, right? <laughs> you can't win, right? I'm bitching about the bricks. Somebody else sets up something, and then people say, oh, you shot a pig, but you shot through four holes, so probably overperformed. And it's very, very difficult um, to find a medium. So that's why he and I are talking about just going back to trying to get as many singular different shots as we can. The move, you picked up on something from my vein noise and moving animals video, which is the best thing I've done so far, I think. For the bow hunting community, they need to see that. It's a problem. It's a problem that's unaddressed. The moving animals is a problem. And real, real quickly, for people, for people who haven't seen the video uh, that he's referring to, basically it's a video showing that from the, an animal's perspective – no matter what setup you have, whether you're shooting veins or feathers or 500 grain arrows or a thousand grain arrows, there's still enough noise that an animal can react to that noise and they'll be moving by the time the arrow hits and it's no longer a stationary target. It's a moving target. Right. It's, it says it, the title of the thing is on the Ranch Ranchberry channel. It's vein noise and animals jump in the string. I know that's totally self-promoting and that's fine, but I think it's the best thing I've ever seen. I'm glad I built it because we weren't intending to do that. Mike shot ever heavy arrows with the AAE stealths trying to figure out what, how, if we could, if slower arrows would be quieter. Well, they really weren't. The heavier arrows slowed down a little bit. It wasn't anything you could really pick up. But we kept hearing this thump, thump, and it's continuous. It's two different sounds that animals aren't used to and something's coming at them. And he's shooting what theoretically is the quietest vein on the planet right now. That's what they say. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. I, I, if they whistle, I laugh. It's funny. Here's hits the meat, right? Whatever. So they, they, they claim this is a quiet vein. Okay. We'll just let that sit aside. He's shooting an 83-pound bow. And he shot arrows from 450 grains to 1,000. And I was like, I've got video of him shooting two or three animals with different setups. And we kept seeing that it's about eight feet. It looks like it's about eight feet when they finally figure it out. Some of those animals move five, six inches. It's a, it's a huge problem. When you say eight feet, you're meaning the arrows eight feet from the animal or eight yeah, feet Yeah, I'm from sorry. Above. Let me clarify. It looks yeah. like the arrows eight feet from the animal or so before they, they react. And that's just a rough guess. I mean, we can't, can't really measure that. So I might yeah. say we, pigs are stupid, we, some of them. We could probably <laughs> stick a stick in the dirt and try to set it up. Just put a pile of corn eight feet away and put a stick in the dirt and shoot by it. I mean, you could do it, right? I mean, we might be able to do that and pull that one off. But Mike, in one of the shots, hits the blind – he was shooting an experimental steel force. It's 180 grains and an inch and a half wide. It hits the, he's shooting out of a temp line. He cuts the blind. You hear it flap real loud. The arrow's going and they waited. It was about the same reaction. So you gotta, you gotta figure out. I didn't really notice it until I really slowed up. I don't have a single video where the animals aren't moving. And so so kind of all this comes around to, you know, the animal is moving at that point. 
so not only has the angle changed, um, you know, where you're going to hit and the ribs have changed, but also the muscle tissue is now tense. So that gives you more resistance that you have to punch through compared to, it's like flex your bicep, you know, feel it when it's relaxed, it's soft, you flex it, it's hard. So now you've completely changed the medium in which you're trying to push that arrow through. Correct. But does that make it easier to cut because it's under tension? Cutting tight rubber bands versus cutting loose rubber bands? I don't know that that matters on the muscle. It, what matters to me is the bones are moving. I don't care about meat. I think the broadheads are fine. But the bones are moving. And they're also never moving advantageously. They're always moving down. So you shot at the armpit and they move five inches down and they're above center. On a pig, you just shot him in the spine or through the big vertebrae processes above the back. I hump shot one the other night. Thank God, it was one of those awful situations for a dude who thinks he's cool. I got the camera going. I got a pig about 150 in front of me, 17 yards. I'm in a 15 foot tree stand, lighted knocks. I have got, man, I got, I am the man. Forgot to hit play. Aim right at his armpit. I pull the trigger. He drops, and it went right through his hump. And it, the, the spinal processes on top of the shoulder blades are very elastic, and they make this kind of clunky, chunky sound. That pig's fine. <laughs> he showed that broadhead to his friends and laughed at me and kept the lighted knock probably, you know, <laughs> just for extra jewelry. He, it, it didn't kill him, I promise you. I've, I've shot him there before and then killed him later. and You know, you see the holes in him. So he altered the shot, though. I the shot wasn't that good to start. I shot high. He changed it six inches. He was kind of jumpy anyway. He wasn't real happy. He was there. He was by himself and kind of nervous. So, you, okay, let's say people can argue this, but I believe quartering away shots are the best. The animal's not looking, you know, the animal's facing away in a, an ideal situation. Everything shooting forward is good to, to hit. You know, if you a little bit, it's still pushing towards the vitals. The ribs get a little wonky, and then they spin and turn on you. An arrow is already a very unstable object. Any horizontal pressure kicks the tail. And then you got something spinning that is hitting. Oh, it's, it's just incredible we ever, it's, it's incredible we kill anything. And then you introduce, I think this is the biggest, the first time I ever shot a uh, a rage broadhead was in Africa. I shot a black wildebeest at six, 17 yards, and it was like the freaking videos. It was like their commercial. Blood shot out of that thing about two feet. It was unbelievable. You could see it shooting out of him as he ran off. I was like, it's, it's magic, right? That sense has passed. So let's get the scenario with animals moving. And you have... The point hits, whatever, I don't care what mechanical it is. The point hits and one blade deploys and the other one isn't in the meat. The ass end of the arrow is kicking. It can't, it can't not kick. I also think this is the reason why there's some of these five inch wounds. I think those freaking broadheads rotate. I think the whole shaft rotates and they get lucky and it anchors somehow and pushes in. It's an unstable object. On the flip side, you're going to lose a ton of stuff. I did. I've done it. 
And you, you mentioned earlier the picket fence, which is the ribs, especially in that quartered away. You know, if that animal's quartered away and you shoot and it turns to go straight away from you to run, like you said, you're shooting down a picket fence. And I've seen the same thing you're talking about where somebody has shot a deer, one blade deployed, and it may have cut up nine or ten inches up the body before it just luckily the tip got in between two ribs and was able to slip in but like you said that's because the animal was moving something in there shoulder went forward caused the ribs to come out a little bit it just caught and went in perfect but But, right and when they work those damn things are incredible now tanaka is crazy i like him a lot he tests freaking everything he's got freaking notebooks i call him the wizard so he shoots an 83-pound Matthews, I don't know what the hell, Safari, 31-inch draw. He's got some horses, okay? He's exploded mechanicals <laughs> on animals. Just had them explode. And he's shooting 700-grain arrows and real broad ends and adult arrows because they work. He doesn't really deer hunt that much. He loves to shoot pigs. If speed worked, that dude should be shooting a 395-grain arrow going 400 feet per second, and it would work. But he's, he's just says stuff breaks. And I don't want this to be the podcast of hating on mechanicals and all that stuff. What I want to encourage and what I'm trying to do is to help the average bow hunter in this freaking world just get their deer. I shoot a lot of pigs as test material. I, don't, I killed a deer a long time ago with a friend was on his place. It's 150 inch whitetails on low fence. And it just ruined me. I'm done. I don't really care about shooting deer anymore. I just don't care. But if I can help people kill a deer and not lose them, that, that's, that's really what the ranch fair is all about. I really want you to have a decent setup. I've got, I've got a bear shaft tuning video that just came up. I got a knock tuning video that just came up. I've got a elk arrow suggestion video coming up next week. And I just want people to be more effective. So if you can take the, I'm, I reverse engineer everything. If you can kill the pigs consistently and push through the, pop through the other side on the big one, whitetails are a cream puff. And as you said earlier, from a tree stand where things get thick and they might pull their shoulder blade in front of you, you shoot a 550 plus grain arrow with a cut on contact, you're going to get 10 or 12 inches of penetration through the shoulder blade from a tree stand and that deer is going to be dead. It won't get a blood trail, but you get your deer. And that's what counts. That's what, that, that's what, that's what this whole sport's about. Whitetails rule the world. It's a fact. So that's what I'm trying to do. It's just a hard, you get a reputation. People are like, you're the pig guy. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, sort of. <laughs> Quokka's got the pig guy thing. It's okay. He's yeah. already doing that. Right. He's my favorite. I love the pig man. It's crazy. I like him. He and I would get along just fine. But he is. I love the guy, but he's my greatest. I, how many times has that guy said I have the juice to kill a cave buffalo with this back when he was sponsored by bear? And you just saw him shoot a 220 pound pig and he got seven inches of penetration with back then he was shooting mechanicals. Right. Brand X. I don't care. I'm not here to bash on it. I'm just saying if you have the horsepower to kill a Cape Buffalo and you're only shooting something that's 200 pounds, why aren't we getting, why aren't we passing through every time? One broadside shots at 17 yards. Yeah. And I'm not bashing on him. I'm just saying 
that's a common misconception in the world that can be solved. I, I love that guy's show. He's great for the sport. And, it's, and it is fun doing what he does, shooting a lot of pigs. It's really, really a blast. So <laughs> back to the terminal performance discussion. Um, like I said, I'm really, really trying to post information for people to help make a decision. They don't, people don't need to be, most people don't need to shoot a 700 grain arrow. I do that stuff just for fun. But real adult broadheads, 550, 500 out of a modern compound for normal whitetail distances, it's really going to help. Not when things go right, and this is the old famous Ashby thing. You build it for when it goes wrong. But, man, I think a lot of people have more trouble than we think. I don't know that the no. I don't know that the effectiveness rates are as high as people are willing to to admit. I think there's a lot. I don't know if it's wounding loss or just misses or whatever. The mechs yeah. are, are good for the sport, and then I don't know if they're whatever. It's just it's a hard puzzle. I want the sport to survive. And that's the hard part is especially trying to figure out how efficient we really are. Was it shot placement or was it the arrow? Was it the delivery system? What went wrong in there? And without being able to f- recover the deer or find the deer and know what went wrong in there, it's kind of hard to put that to a specific thing. All the silly things move. I mean, right? If they'd stand still, they sure would help us out a lot. Deer, real jumpy. My buddy was went to Africa the year before I went. And he was trying to get a diker or a steam buck. Whatever it was, it was small. He is shooting out of a pit uphill. Okay? Basically uphill. He said his arrows were leaving a puff of dust as it left the window. That's how down in the dirt they were. He said he shot at whatever this was. I think it was a steam buck, which are tiny. He said three times the arrow went through a dust ball. It didn't duck him. It wasn't there. That is crazy. And he kept coming back 17 yards. He's shooting adrenaline. You know, this is six or eight years ago. Pretty moderate arrow weight. And he said he would shoot and there would just be, there would be just a dust ball where it was. But it wasn't there. And the deer, you get elevated. I think your, your, your you know, spinal tap, ver, you know, vertebrae hitting shots is you're already high and then they drop. They drop. It just makes it very difficult. And everything we're seeing, I said earlier, I think there's mechanicals, there's broadheads. If you, that's funny, on some targets you see mechanical, broadhead, and field points. So there's mechanicals, and then the broadheads, I think they break down. I think there's the, the ones that get together, you know, anything like a muzzy style, slick trick kind of broadhead. There's cut on contacts like the Stinger, which I love. And then you get into this single bevel world, and they are different. I don't care what anyone says. That's the baddest freaking thing on a pointy stick is the single bevel broadhead. They don't break the edge integrities off the charts. They freaking rotate, and bone is not really that big a challenge. They're, they're different. They're not – we're not talking 20% different, right? We're talking – Add some weight, gain 8%. Add some FOC, 
gain eight or ten percent. Add a single bubble, add a percent. But at the end of the day, the system just went up thirty percent, and the overall integrity of the system went up massive. And your impact integrity goes through the roof, no matter what's in the way. That's the one thing we are seeing. It's repeatable, repeatable, repeatable. And I love them. I, I'm going to fart around with the stinger because that buzz cut. Because a lot of people ask, they don't want to sharpen. Okay, they don't want to. They don't want to do the monoliths. They don't want to hand sharpen. They don't want to break off in this really heavy point world. I get it. It's fair enough, right? Dust off your bow and go shoot your deer. Um, but the single bevels are. Every one of them I've shot has been fantastic. I started off shooting the Grizzly 190 because I had them. And I just started torching stuff. Like performance like I'd never seen. Animals going 60 and down. Big animals. So I, I encourage people, even light single bevels, I think you should give it a rip. Steel Force makes a pretty good 125, and Bishop's single bevel 125 is a little bitty, short, spear-looking thing that is just freaking evil. I killed Willie the Pooh on one of my videos with him, with one of those. I shot him hard quartering, probably hit him behind the rib cage. No, I did. I shot him through the guts, went all the way into probably where his trachea goes into his head, and bent the brass insert, and the head didn't bend. The head was still straight. That's a lot of impact. That's a good, that's a good point. And it went into him. The other thing that's interesting about the single bevels, I shoot a lot of stuff at night, so you don't have this visual. I shoot light at night, but it's not as visual in the dark. It's you shoot and you hear. Because you're you're kind of you're you know, you're night blind for all practical purposes, even with a bow mounted light. And the single bevels don't make it much noise. They're real quiet. When they go, when they hit stuff, there's not a big pop. And I've intentionally shot three pigs quartering in to see what would happen. And well, they break the bones. <laughs> it's like right out of Ashby's report. I've shattered. I cut the, I cut the shoulder blade in half on one. My nephew Sam shot through the shoulder blade, through three ribs complete pass through on another big Mike shot that one and broke seven vertebrae. The bone breaking ability is truly a fact. And I encourage anybody to listen to this podcast. If they want to try them out, I, they're hard to beat. You can tell I'm kind of a fanboy. totally fairly accused all the way, even for deer. The testing that I've done with them, which isn't much, is I basically, I've taken my compound, unscrewed the broadheads that I have on, screw on a single bevel and shoot them at like a, a cow bone just in the backyard against a target, yeah, sure. which, you know, without a big axis of things you can hunt year round, that's about no, the best no, no, I can, I can hope to do. That's a good test. That's a fair right? test. Right. And just, and just like you would expect, I mean, the bones, they just split wherever that broadhead hits, it just splits them right all the way through well you got those big vertical cracks you know you get this long vertical crack where it torques and most people don't understand that the harder material it hits the more torque and then there's another thing i want to talk about single bevels i've heard some chatter 
from some yahoos who apparently have never shot one, so they immediately think, that's just witchcraft, it's wizardry, that the edges, the edge will be compromised by the rotation. That assumes that you have no idea what you're talking about, which, in fact, you don't. The broadhead must go forward to rotate. Therefore, it must be cutting. The idea that it's spinning independently of forward motion is insane but I understand where people get lost. So if it were to be hitting the meat like a drill, if it was spinning like crazy as it went in, you could have the edge roll over. That is not how it works. In fact, Ashby said, and I've done this, straight feathers and veins work a little better. You want, the, you want that thing to bite when it hits. You don't want to help it. You want it to work. And... When it hits and as it's pushing, the pressure at the end of the point and onto the blades makes it rotate. It's not two independent things. So what you get, and for everybody listening to this, this isn't like a this isn't like a whole saw. It's just a slow, methodical rotation. So what happens when it hits like an artery, it cuts across it. It doesn't cut it in a straight line. It cuts it on an angle. It's, it does do some blunder stuff to the lungs that I still can't figure out. And then the, the bones shatter, just like you said. It's really impressive. It's hard to believe when you really do a pretty good autopsy um, how much damage they do for what they look like. They look pretty simple. Right. Simple but effective. With the arrow builds, um, so I've noticed when I've shot single bubblehead stuff, at close range. So like my arrows not really rotating by the time it hits what I'm shooting at. Yeah, I've sure. had, I've had the glue bonds break on my inserts because of that rotation mm-hmm. that is induced. I've had, you know, the back ends of my arrows crack stuff that is more destructive on the arrow and the, the components. Is there anything that you do special to make the arrow withstand that torsion a little bit better? I mean, would you recommend people that are going to shoot single bevel to, to shoot an arrow that has like a cross weave or any kind of special insert glues or anything you found? No, I think that's just case by case. Don't buy an FMJ ever. Don't do that. <laughs> Cause you're going to blow those things apart. Sorry. You can edit me out. <laughs> and I have, I've either, they've either broken. I shot, a, I'm doing a video right now on brutal angles and so I intentionally shot this sow last week. She's about 85 pounds through the spine straight away, dead centered on lumbar four, broke the L4 vertebrae, and I got 12 inches of penetration, but it severed her abdominal aorta, so she didn't, 15 seconds, she was down. And it cracked the front of the shaft. I don't consider that to be a failure. My animal's on the ground. I mean, she didn't make it out of sight, Okay. I don't think there's anything you can do. There's a lot of people sleeving them um, and that kind of thing. One thing you did mention was you blew out the rear end of the arrows. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, right? That doesn't make any sense. Why do you think the knock-in cracks? The only thing I could think of was that on the impact, you got the weight of the knock moving forward, applying a, an axial force to that carbon shaft against yeah. those axial fibers and it just cause it to crack. I can't. I blew one out the other day, and I can't figure out why. It was a. It's a. You know, it was a gold tip. I've shot a million of them, 
And I don't remember what the hell I shot with it. But that rear end cracked. And I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, I don't know that there's anything you can do. There's a lot of people trying to unravel this thing. I saw the Valkyrie stuff. They've got these covered insert gizmos that they're coming up with. I'm not being negative on the gizmo thing. That's just Southern boy talk. But um, um, I, don't, I don't know what. I, I don't know. I think you just think we're going to break arrows. I think it's funny as hell. I got three dozen arrows I need to break. So there's nothing better than breaking them on freaking animals. It's the best ever. <laughs> the only peculiarity I have is I tape every one of my lighted knocks into the shaft so they don't fly out. Um, but I don't do anything special to the front. I used to use hot melt, and I got yelled at by a bunch of people because I was using hot melt. So I'm using uh, epoxy on my inserts and just bang them out with a drill bit like everybody else if I want to play with them. And the only thing I can recommend is the monoliths, like the VPAs, the bishops, the, these monolithic heads that are either – they're all one piece, right? You're not putting an insert inside of a broad head like the old-fashioned ones. They're just that much more durable. Just one piece, right? And uh, they do a great job. I, I can't really complain about any of them. I wish there's a way, but uh, I don't see it coming yet. Yeah, on, on the single metal stuff, I don't know. I've talked to some people who are sleeving them with aluminums, but I don't know that it has that much benefit. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I, I guess I can say about it is that, you know, in my job, my day job, we build reinforced shafts uh, for medical device. If we reinforce the shaft with like a braid, so you're not yeah. just getting an axial component. If you alter the angle of your steel braid, you can change the amount of torsional response that that shaft will have. So for example, if you have a shaft that has wires that are almost axial, you'll get really great uh, tension and compression performance, but very little torsional rigidity. And hmm. vice versa, if you get that angle closer to 45 degrees, you increase your uh, torsional rigidity dramatically, but you're also not as stiff. So like if, you know, with the arrow market, if people are trying to get an arrow that has a 300 spine, that's a very light grain per inch, it's easier to do it with axial fibers than it would be with a more, Linear. right, right. So if you, if you get a weave, then it becomes harder to get high stiffness with low grains per inch. And I don't know if, I mean, there's obviously some woven shafts on the market and there's some that are just, you know, your straight carbon. I think the ABS stuff is woven, right? Is Victory making woven shafts for those guys? I haven't played with them. Yeah. The uh, Grizzly Sticks, they're made by Victory. I and think they were woven they're from woven, the beginning. Yeah, they're woven and they're tapered. And then the, the Victory also makes the TKO models of a lot of their shafts, those are mm -hmm. woven. Uh, right. Element Archery has some woven shafts. The Bishop ones that are coming out are going to be woven. So I've, I haven't tried any myself, but I've been curious to see if something like that would withstand, you know, something like a single bevel impact a little bit better. Yeah. I don't know that I, I think the damage, I think the da shaft damage is the same with as double bevel, single bevel, whatever you slam. If you slam something that hard, I think the double bevels might stick and damage the shaft more and mushroom the hell out of it, but I haven't, I haven't seen it. But I, like I said, I'm doing brutal angles, so I'm hoping to catch three or four. I want to shoot one. I got one straight away. I'm trying to shoot one straight facing me out of a tree stand, right between the shoulder blades, 
with a 700 grain arrow unless it's a big one and then i won't do that because big ones are big but if i get an average pig i'll i can break him and then i want to shoot one in the pocket between you know the neck shoulder junction that's what officially the term is but um i want to shoot one real hard quartering in I want to explore that shot because I've got some friends who do that shot a lot. They shoot regular broadheads. They shoot singers and regular arrows. And they kill a lot of pigs under 150 shooting into the neck shoulder junction. And they kill them. I'm talking in a hurry. Plus the stupid things are running with an arrow sticking on front of them. So if they hit anything with that arrow, well, you got a little help. (laughs) Drive it in. But they have made some shots that are impressive. The blood trails are fantastic. I'm wondering, honestly, if it's closer, if it's shorter on a pig to shoot them that way than it is the other way. It doesn't make any sense, but hey, I got a lot of pigs to shoot, so I'll just do that. Because their vitals are so far forward. Right, and then they're V-shaped, right? So actually towards the, the front of the, of the vitals of a pig are like the nose, about the size of a nose of a football. Actually, the vitals on a big pig are the size of a junior football. Not a full size of NFL football, a junior football. Almost the same shape. And they got, they're pointed in the front. So I, I, I'm wondering if I should shoot from the front to the back because the back's bigger. It doesn't make any sense. But I get bored. <laughs> <laughs> so what the hell? Why not try it? You know? I'll see what happens. It'll take a substantial arrow, though. You can, I don't know if you can do it with a, with a ski load. I got to have to get a real arrow for that. So I really, I'll, I'll, I'll try that and see what happens. So you're obviously a single bevel fan um, with arrow weights for the general public, whitetail shooters. Do you like to see people staying over 500 grains? Is there a certain number that you would encourage most people to try and stay above? I encourage everybody I talk to to put at least 100 in the shaft. I don't care what you're shooting. I think the arrows behave better. I don't think. I know. I played with a. I mean, I played with a lot of stuff. And if you put a hundred, so if you put a hundred grain insert in your shaft in the arrow, you've only increased it eighty grains. Because most of the inserts are ten to twenty. Okay, so we're splitting hairs here. People are like I really went up. Well, you only added eighty grains. Big whoop. But it helps. Five fifty is the number I tell everybody. It's not hard to get there. So 125 in this inside the arrow, and then you can shoot whatever broadhead you want. 550 seems to be a turning point, and then something great happens at 700. Something magical happens at 700. It's, it's really different. You can do whatever, you can almost do whatever you want at 700. This shot, we think the shot angles open 30% at 700. I'm talking, if they're quartering on, you just hold on to freaking bones and you say to hell with it, here it comes. If you're shooting a, a single bevel and a 700 grain arrow with it front loaded, we're seeing some tremendous things happen. I mean, we're talking breaking shoulder blades, shattering shoulder blades and stuff. On pigs. So on, on right. deer, it would, it would stand to reason that you got a lot of forgiveness on your shot if you're shooting that kind of a setup. Right, so the thing you guys don't get or whatever is, it's not get, it is, you don't have is, I can, I can set up any angle I want. I sound like a freaking blowhard, 
but I'm, they're baited, right? It's not e- I spend a ton of time out there. People think, oh, you just walk out there and shoot your four pigs a weekend. They're smart. The big ones are really smart. The big ones are really very challenging. The big ones over 200 become very difficult. They are, they are picky bastards. But let's, let's, let's apply this to whitetail and be very functional. As I said earlier, I'm trying to help the whitetail guys. So for you guys who hunt food plots or you've got trails, or you're hunting a funnel, Midwestern kind of hunting where you don't have bait necessarily. A lot of the hunting shows have little food plots. That's bait, but not bait. So you know what I'm saying. And the deer's just coming by. You don't really have – sometimes you don't have a choice. You've got to take that quarter and in shots. You've got one tag to punch, and there he is. And it's 17 yards, and you think, I can scoot it in there. You get a 700-grain arrow at 25, 17 to 25 yards, you just aim at the shoulder. You can break it. You can break it. I'm not encouraging you to do that, but you hunt for 12 days in a row, and you finally get your shot, and you got one tag in your pocket for the season, and the season's 13 days or 14 days. We have a four-month deer season here. I got 20 doe tags to punch every year. It's okay. I got to shoot a few deer to shoot. But I really feel for the guys who go out there, one tag, two tags, you got a 14, 30-day season, and your opportunity is a quartering in, slightly quartering shot from a tree stand. And you try to scooch it in there and you got to shoot the damn thing. When you could aim for the freaking heart and not worry about it. That's... That's that's the ultimate scenario right there. I think from a from a whitetail challenge standpoint. I have a friend who when we were younger, like in college, he was shooting seventy pounds with I think like a, a Matthews MR six, something with a lot of energy. Like thirty two inch draw. And <laughs> that's awesome. he hit a he hit a deer in the shoulder blade and never we never found it you know, yep. five, six inches mm-hmm. of penetration, just sure. not enough, no blood. Right. And so like a guy shooting that much energy, like you were saying earlier, there's no reason that shouldn't be a, a good enough setup to pop through that shoulder blade. Right. Like if he would have been using maybe an arrow that wasn't, you know, 380 grains or whatever. I think that's probably bigger, a different outcome. Yeah. I think that's a bigger thing than, than the power, the, like I said, Mike shoots 31 and 83 pounds, and he prefers shooting a heavy arrow because it works better. And I don't know that it's – I don't hunt mid, in the Midwest, and I don't hunt in a lot of tree stand, this free-ranging, wandering-around deer situations. I don't know how far people really shoot. I'll, I'll admit that I don't hunt in that situation. It's not what I do yet. Do people really shoot, I mean, 50? Do they set up to shoot 50, or are they thinking they're going to shoot 50? Could shoot 50. Y'all tell me. I think the food plot guys probably do because you can realistically get a shot at a deer quite a long ways out there. I know where I hunt and I think where Bobby hunts a lot of the times you're often in scenarios where you're not getting too many shot opportunities past 30 or 40 yards. But then you go out yeah. west to somebody doing like a pronghorn hunt or something and that's a totally different animal. I've never shot an seen- animal over 32 yards. And okay, you're, you and I are I the same animal, bud. 14. You and I are the same animal. Right. So 700 grains isn't going to handicap you at all. I'm serious. 650, yeah. is, it's just upside. And until you see that slow arrow do its job, it's hard to believe. 
this is really an essential part of my story. I fell in love with shooting, hunting these big pigs and the damn things get smart and they, they will pick you off. I had one pig I never killed that used to come in behind my stand and real slow mosey through the trees and I hadn't been there in a month. Okay, it's not like I'm out there every freaking day. I see him come, walks behind me, wins me, his tail stops swinging and he just walks back on the same trail. Doesn't snort, doesn't run. He just walked behind me and walked off. Because he's, okay, well, not today. Dumb as dummies here. I, stopped, I kept plunking them. I got family members plunking them. I got friends plunking them, and we're not finding them. We had a 50% success ratio at one time. I was keeping records. And I think I was lying to myself. I don't know if it was that high. I had nowhere else to go but try the Ashby thing. I had tried every 100-grain broadhead on the planet. But I've never weighed my arrows up. So I'm a weird guy. So I spine up to 300, put 670 grain arrow out there. The first pig I shot with it was a 220 pound boar at 17 yards, like I'd done 100 times. And the arrow goes right through him, buries to the feathers, and I watch him go down. And I said, What the hell just happened? Because it was effortless. That's, that's the real story of me. So I just haven't given up on it because it works. And I'll, I'll shoot deer or whatever with it. Um, I've had a lot of people who hunt elk say, I got to be able to shoot 60. I said, yeah, but what's going to happen when the arrow gets there? This is where this whole podcast began. Delivery and impact are not the same thing. I said, so do you think it's going to penetrate at 75 yards? I don't know. I do know if you, maybe if you give up 20 yards and shoot a better arrow system, I think you'll be better off when it hits finally. Just from what I've done. Any pig under 150 pounds is pretty much a cream puff. You can do what you want. I recommend, still recommend a pretty heavy arrow. When they get above 150, they change. They physically are not the same animal. They are that not. Is, that is a true statement. If you've handled them, it doesn't matter if you shoot them with a 22 or stab them. I've done it with dogs. I've done the traps. I've done everything. When you pull a true 200-pound pig out of the trap, it's a, it's a damn different thing. It, the sides of them are like wood. They're a, they're, a, they're a physical nightmare. I can't imagine getting charged by one. I don't know what the hell's going to happen. What are you going to grab, right? When I'm by myself at the ranch and I do follow-ups at night, I got a 20-gauge full of buckshot. To hell with that. <laughs> <laughs> if something scary in the dark comes at me, it's going to get a paint can shot in its face. I'm not doing it, right? But it's just... So then I start to equate these big, horrible, arrow-eating animals to something you want. God, who doesn't want a 320-inch 6 by 6 right? That's why I think terminal error performance is a huge thing you should focus on. But especially, God, if you can, Lord have mercy, if you could get a tree stand water hole set up and get a 20-yard shot and shoot a 650-grain arrow, you're going to shoot right through an elk. I mean, you're going you're gonna to torture him. He may not even run off. He may, you may shoot him and he just goes, huh. And stands there and dies. So that's what, 
that's where I focus. I'm a little bit, I'm odd, and I goof around and got the crazy shirts, and now I have a raspberry wand. Oh, my God, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Golden wand. One of my friend's uh, daughters sent me a fairy wand. So in a couple of my videos now, I'm banging on the screen with this wand. It's so much fun. It's just so not the manly steroid bow hunter with six-inch lift kit and a lot of stickers. And um, I just really hope – I hope I can get a message out there to help people. I really want to see – I like – there's nothing better than to see the, see the emails come back and say it worked. It worked. It worked. Especially right now the bears. I guess bears are big – season right now or something up north or, i don't know i don't shoot bears spring bear season's in okay you want to talk about a situation where you should be shooting any arrow that you're that's a setup pot shot the head's in a damn barrel i'm sorry you can make fun of us feeder hunters feeding the freaking things fish and put peanut butter shoot a proper arrow with those silly things it's yeah, 20 yeah, you're going to know exactly how far he is. There's no this, you know, is he going to be 60 yards? You know he's going to be 17 yards. That's right. There's no excuse. Is that a Beeman ICS whiteout I see in your hands? A it white is. saber? It I is. I have some of those. I love those things. I'm colorblind, so all white arrows, white reflective wraps, white arrow all the way because that's the only way I can see blood on an arrow. Really? Yeah. I've got a friend who's colorblind. He says, he just, he says it's gray. I said, how the hell do you know it's great? Because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's, it's the hardest thing trying to explain what you see to somebody who doesn't see what you see. Can you see the white fletchings or was it, I mean, can you I, see yes, arrows I can, in flight? Yes, I can see white. I'm red, green, colorblind. So those two colors, when they're together or side by side, they are very difficult, if not impossible for me to tell apart. So blood on leaves or on grass, I have to get it onto my hand or onto something that is not green to be able to see it. So one of the blood lights won't work either because it's green. No, that's why, that's why I have a blood dog. Dogs are great. They're really great. We have a dog. My, my nephew has a dog, and it doesn't know to tell us it found the deer. So we cut it loose, and it runs out and comes back, and it goes, well, what, do you, what are we doing now? And we're like... <laughs> My buddy shot this deer this year, and we grabbed the dog, and the dog is around deer all year, and dead deer. It, it runs around with deer bones in its mouth. and So he shoots this deer. We're on the blood trail. We cut the dog loose. It inevitably finds the deer in about 18 seconds and comes back and just starts running all over the place. It didn't know to say, hey, yo, I found the deer. It just kept running all over the place because it was like, well, yeah, I saw a deer. So I need to uh, – get a tracking dog i i don't know about cutting them out on pigs i don't care about them that much but i do i do care about finding my deer my first exposure to blood dogs the guy had two dogs that he ran as a pair and if both dogs came back the animal that they put on the trail was dead if only one dog came back the animal was still alive because one dog would sit down and watch one dog would sit down and watch the animal and the other dog would go back and get him and take him to the last place he saw it it was the it was the craziest thing I have ever seen. That is really cool. I've been around some cool stuff on the tracking side. I used to hunt javelinas in, at a place way down south Texas, and there was this dude uh, who's the ranch hand there, and he could track it. I mean, I don't know what he was looking at. He'd shoot a javelina. They don't bleed for it, nothing. 
those damn things. I don't think there's actually blood in a javelina, right? <laughs> so you'd shoot your javelina, it would run off, and he would just go through the bushes and find it. It's like nothing. And the trackers in Africa were the same way. I mean, it was incredible. You'd walk through 50 freaking sets of tracks, and they would just walk right across them and just, hey, yeah, we're good right here. It's, I don't know what they see, but it's amazing. Do y'all have any arrow shafts y'all are leaning towards these days? Do y'all play with a bunch of different stuff, or y'all shoot anything in particular that you're in love with? You know what I don't like, so we won't say that again. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad for business. I, I'm in experimentation phase right now. I'm ordering as many single shafts <laughs> as I can, and I'm putting together systems. I'm doing the footing thing that you are talking about earlier. I got some shafts that I've done internal systems on and externally footed them too, just to basically like give no place for that carbon to crack. But it's still, it's going to be a lot of testing, I think. And then at some point here, Bishop's going to come out with their arrows. So I want to try those too. I got. I talked to Sean yesterday about those. He's talking about a seven grain per inch or 6.2, 300 spine arrow. It's what we need. Yeah. And I think they come footed, right? So they're, and they're, and they're woven from the pictures. We'll see. I will certainly probably get one bloody. God knows I'm going to super, I'm just going to freaking bear shaft tune that thing and go hunting. Hell with it. Let's do that, you know? But um, I've been shooting a lot of, uh, I've had got a subscriber who keeps sending me black eagles. He's trying to get me moved over to mid shafts. I shoot the ICSs. God, I've shot so many animals with those things. And just the regular diameter shafts. I don't, I'm not seeing a lot of, um, upside to the small diameter arrows. I don't think there's between the viscosity of the blood and everything else. And then the hole the broadhead makes, and then you got the single bevels rotating. I don't know that the shaft diameters. And what's funny is the micros have the big, big freaking outserts on them. So <laughs> theoretically, if you hit the bone, it's going to hang up, right? It, it, it's kind of funny. I, I laugh at that because the threads can't get that much smaller. That's the uh, conversation that Bobby and I have been having quite a bit the last few weeks is our micro diameters re like if small diameter is better than standard diameter is there a point of diminishing returns obviously for target archery the smaller the shaft the better for long range outdoor shooting but in terms of penetration as long as the shaft is smaller than the hole that's made by the broadhead maybe it doesn't matter and if the wind drift is so minimal between a mid-sized shaft and a micro or even a standard diameter like less than an inch at hunting distances for a wind that you would want to shoot in anyway, does it make a, a difference to get that smaller shaft? And would you be better off just using a bigger shaft with beefier components that aren't going to break when you hit something? I'm all for beefier when it hits something. I was shooting the other day in a, about a 25 mile an hour crosswind shooting a hundred just to see what the hell happens. And I had a inch and a half wide fat head on there the Bishop, Stinger, Strickland Helix, something else. Oh, Tough Head. So I had arrows between 550 grains and 800. And all I kept seeing was the tail kicking out, which makes sense, right? The fletchings are the highest level of drag. So it was flying ass out, ass downwind as it went into the target. So that's going to impede your penetration. Mm -hmm. Um the heavier arrows, just by sheer force of mass, didn't drift as much. So I don't know if the micros are going to matter. I do know this. I bare shaft tuned my bow with a micro that Mike, Big Mike Tanaka sent me. 
and I can shoot any arrow on earth now because it's like it's bear shaft with a really, really small arrow. So when you put a big fat one like that thing you're holding in your hand, a giant beam and ICS, right? These days, everybody's like, that thing's too big. Whatever. You should shoot a 2419, you know? <laughs> um, and they worked fine. Uh, I, I know that from a tuning perspective, if you can shoot the micros, they, uh, they, your bow is tuned. And I'm, I'm a huge bear shaft tuner. That's my, my go-to thing. My bear shaft tune, just 10 or 15 yards. I move the rest around. And when it shoots straight, it shoots straight. I've got a video up on my channel on that. And then I knock tune every individual arrow with fletchings. I literally turn the knock until they group right. And if I got an arrow that won't knock tune, I throw it in the trash. I'm a very simple individual. You're misbehaving. I do not need you around anymore. So, um, and then I go, then I actually, my next step is knock tune with broadheads. I just check them. I rarely have to knock tune with broadheads, but I just check them. And then when they shoot straight with broadheads, I was, those arrows go up. I don't, I don't shoot them anymore. And I shoot some practice arrows that are whatever. Some of my misbehaviors or whatever. And I think that would be... Are you just shooting three, three fletch? Yeah, I've been playing with the four. I don't know what the advantage of the four is above anything. Uh, it would give you four fletchings to work off of noctuning. That's exactly why I do it. Yeah, right. And it will help you square up and keep off the cables. Um, I'm shooting... I shoot mostly razor feathers. I'm a huge feather fan, but Tanaka's got me shooting that Fusion Q2i, the small one. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. It's a tiny little thing. And they say, don't shoot broadheads with it. Well, let me tell you, homie, you bear shaft tune your bow and put three of those on there. I was shooting an inch and a half wide steel force broadhead 100 yards the other day, and it was fine. So, so much for that. A little bitty tiny four blades would do it too. The front of center helps with that because it's being pulled and all that little little fletching is trying to do is keep it behind the broadhead. That's all it's doing. That's right. That's right. When the broadheads when the when the shaft is pushing the broadhead, you have a completely different flight system than when you do when the point's pulling the shaft. Exactly. And until you until you will bother to spine up one level and drop 200 extra grains on the front, you'll never see it. You will never see it. So everybody listen to this podcast. If you think I'm crazy, that's fine. I am crazy. It's cool. However, if you will spine up, go borrow some arrows from somebody that are spine level higher. I don't care how long they are and put 250 extra grains, 200 extra grains on the front and watch. It's like miracle. It's unbelievable how calm they get. And when you put this, have y'all shot, do y'all have, Y'all gotten your hands on the 600 Bishop ever? Mm -mm. No, oh, I've not. That's the calmest flying arrow you've ever shot in your life. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. You put the 600 on, and that, that broadhead gets freaking sharp. You put the 600 on about a, on a 250 spine arrow, pushing like 980,000 total grains, and it just goes, boom. I mean, it's just, it's so sexy in the air. You can see the flesh is just teak, teak, teak rotating through the air and just right, nothing stops it. Tana I sent one to Tanaka and he shot through two targets and hit the bricks on his house. <laughs> I said, holy crap. 
I got to get a bigger target. <laughs> <laughs> that was with the big 83-pound bow. So he had that thing trucking along. That was one of the funnest things I've ever done. 22 yards, that arrow starts out of the tree stand in the, in the video, and it's above the pig's back, and it just drops in like a free throw. <laughs> it goes just right through him. I mean, just like it wasn't there. Anything else? I think we covered just about everything. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I've had fun. I appreciate y'all giving me some time to blubber and act like I'm important. I really do want to help people out there. I'm not trying to be a freaking – it's funny, these comments you see on the web, I'm really not that concerned about it. I really want the whitetail guys to be – I want the whitetail guys to be more successful, and I know it works. I know, I know it works. I really have – and I will continue shooting stuff because it's really fun. Hi, real quick, give a plug to your um, to your YouTube channel so the listeners can know where to find you. Well, I'll tell you why I'm called this. My name is The Ranch Ferry, and I have a huge family, and I am the ranch manager of a ranch in South Texas. And I started calling myself The Ranch Ferry six years ago because people would call and say, I got bees. The AC's not working. The toilets aren't working. Blah, blah, blah. Uncle Troy, will you fix it? And I said, okay, The Ranch Ferry will come fix it. <laughs> And I started searching on YouTube and realize, and in Google and realized it was a very strong name. People don't forget, I, the name sure as hell doesn't fit in the bow hunting world. <laughs> got to get some steroids, got to get some tattoos, and I got to be tanned, get my teeth whitened. And I'm not quite fat enough in some situations and don't talk <laughs> Southern enough for others. So I started running the Ranchberry thing because it sticks. So the searches and stuff, if you're bow hunter badass number six, that gets lost in the shuffle. So the, my, my YouTube channel is The Ranch Ferry, my Instagram is The Ranch Ferry, and then I'm also on Facebook, and I appreciate the props. Y'all come see me on, on the YouTube channel. It'll be more fun and antics. I've got a sexy new Ranch Ferry shirt and the wand and SpongeBob. There's a lot of SpongeBob. And the shenanigans <laughs> will never end. Shenanigans will never end. Y'all have fun. Thank you very much. If there's any other topics you ever want to blubber with a crazed maniac from Texas, I'm in. Holler at me. When the bishop shafts come out, we ought to talk again. Oh, yeah. I'll get some of the bishop stuff. I'm going to get some, too. We'll shoot them a little bit, and then we'll maybe we'll do a check, you know, talk about that. Because that's that, that should be a groundbreaking arrow if it does yeah. what he says. Yeah. It, I think it will be from everything I've heard. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, I'll be sticking it in something. So we'll shoot some bricks. That'll be a good test. sorry sean (laughs) have a good evening guys thank you you too thanks that'll do it for this episode all of you whitetail guys really need to check out saddle hunting as a potential setup option i just released two saddle hunting videos on youtube a review of the arrow hunter kestrel including the new mesh version that is going to be available around the fourth of july and also a video on some of the modifications i've experimented with on my kestrel you can find more info on the kestrel at arrowhunter.us Also, make sure to like and follow both the DIY Sportsman and Sportsman's Nation social media pages. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally download podcasts. And please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.